powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Okay, everyone. Welcome to Game Over Toronto. I'm your host, Rehef. Absolutely no preamble today. I'm just going to get into it. My host tonight is Arvi. You may know him. Sorry, Arvin from Twitter. You may know him from Twitter. And he's also at pensionpuppets.com. Um, yeah, man, let's just, get, let's just get into that loss. But right before we do, sports betting, it's on everyone's mind right now. And Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. Before the game starts, live in play or how your favorite player will perform. Canada plays at SIA, doing it right since 1997. With the most competitive odds, Sports Interaction makes it deposit, play, and cash out. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDP. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDP. Remember, 19 plus, and please play responsibly. Welcome, my guest. Hello, Arvin. What a game, hey, huh? Um, yeah, that was, that was something. What, that was probably one of the worst Leaf playoff losses I've seen, just in terms of how quickly they were absolutely out of it in that game. I don't. It has a lot of competition for worst Leaf Actually, playoff that, losses. That is true. This is the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I don't know. I mean, it, it's. I think the first useful thing to do because we're going to be talking very negatively about the Leafs in this because there was really, really nothing redemptive about this performance. The first thing to do is to realize, okay, the sky isn't falling. It's 2-2 in a series. It doesn't matter how bad you lose any individual game. It's still just one game, right? Here, here, here's our half-glass half full. A little bit of half-glass full to start this mostly yeah. negative recap, everyone. Right. So like, if you, you know, the thousand-foot view is 2-2 series at the best of three, Leafs have home ice, right? That's not the worst situation to be in. It's not an amazing situation to be in. Right, it could be much better. The Leafs could be up three-one. We saw last year that's not infallible, but you'd certainly rather be up three-one than tied two-two. Um, but yeah, putting that aside, like putting aside that we should not be entirely doom and gloom about the series if we're just focusing on this game. Um, this game sucked. This game was awful. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, the biggest thing I think is that it wasn't just that the Leafs went down in the first minute of the game. It was that they were just, you know. The game was essentially over after 10 minutes. There was, you know, they, they're, they're down 3 nothing. It was just absolutely, it's not even just they're down 3 nothing. They were getting outclassed by Tampa in, in the first period in that game. At one point, the Leafs had two shot attempts, two shot attempts to Tampa's, I believe, 17, which is just, they did not touch the puck for the first 15 minutes of that game. Yeah, I, I think that's really where any analysis has to start and, and almost end because, as you said, it ceased to be a competitive game after 3-0. Like at that point, the Leafs did start to play a little bit in Tampa zone, but you're down 3-0. Who cares? Right? Like the, as you said, the competitive portion of the game is effectively over. And the reality is the Leafs, you know, we, we hate the whole, like, oh, the, you know, when Mike Babcock said this, it became a meme of, like, starting on time. Well, the Leafs didn't do it. And you have to credit Tampa to some extent for that, to a significant extent for that, right? Um, they were very, very aggressive on the forecheck early on. They were very uh, active in cutting off space for whenever um, for the Leafs centers in particular. Whenever the Leafs could get out of the puck, out of the zone with the puck, they were usually forced to the flanks, and then Tampa could basically corner uh, corner off the the wingers and give them very few options. Their puck retrievals were excellent. The Leafs didn't look remotely prepared for it. Oh, it led and to the, so many you know, turnovers on the part in the defense. It did. And it's not like 
you know, if you replay those first 10, 15 minutes and it goes exactly the same way. So Tampa plays really well, the Leafs played really terrible. In most of those situations, the Leafs don't come out of that down three, nothing. It, it may be like one, nothing or two, nothing in some of those situations. But you know, the, the lightning put themselves in a situation where a few good bounces would essentially end the game early. And they capitalized on that perfectly. And that led to a situation where, yeah, at least win probability was probably within less than 10%, 10 minutes in. And it's like, okay, you, you sit down and you, you want to analyze this game. You know, you look at the stats, you look at all of it put together. And it's so difficult because as we've said, the Leafs were essentially out of it within the first 10 minutes. So you know, you want to look at the, the rest of the game and it's so difficult to talk about a game where the Leafs are down five nothing for more than half of it. I mean, you know, halfway through the second, they're down five nothing. Um like this how much the series in general. So little of the time in the series has been spent with the teams like close. It's been blowouts that's, one way or the other. That's so true. It it makes it so difficult and, and to that point. The degree of the game that's been being played on the special teams as well makes it incredibly difficult yeah, to analyze. Took, what, another seven or eight penalties today. Yeah. So they took eight. Pen- I wrote this down because I was I was frankly amazed. I wanted to see like what the spread has been for for both teams. But the the Leafs eight penalties in this game. Tampa scored one power play goal. Um, in total, the Leafs have taken twenty three penalties throughout this series. I mean, for a team like the Leafs, which through the throughout the season they're one of the least penalized teams in the league. To come into a series and take this many many penalties, it's. I mean, we know that Tampa in the regular season, or power play, they are a team that takes a lot of penalties and gets a lot of power plays. And it seems like the Leafs are kind of playing into Tampa's strategy and own, which is kind of keep the games low on the penalty side. Yeah, Tampa Tampa does, is very, very good at doing that. And I think everyone kind of knew they try and do that. And so far, they've been very successful in transitioning the game away from five on five. I think Washington is a team that does this a lot as well. And, and it's had mixed results in some ways. Like the, the Leafs won the special teams battle in game one. Um, they won the special teams battle in game three, especially if you count that post um, penalty goal by Blackwell in game three. Right. So it hasn't been like completely you know, faultless for Tampa Bay, but in, in games two and four, yeah, like it's, it's very hard to mount a comeback from the penalty box. That's true. Actually, it's funny you talk about kind of the Leafs, you know, both their wins coming out through the specialty. At least in part, yeah. At least in part. And that kind of leads me to something I think that's a big storyline throughout the first four games, especially when it comes to their, their big four of Matthews, Marner, as a Nylander, which is just that they've kind of been MIA five on five, and it's been a problem, mm-hmm. especially in games three and four. Um, yes, Matthews Arner game one, they played great. They Matthews gets a couple of goals in game two. Matthews Marner Bunting have that one really great shift that ends up with a goal. After that, game three and four, Matt, the Matthews line has effectively been shut down. By the color, they've had absolutely. Matthews and Marner are currently sitting out. Yes, the headman pairing as well. They've been so excellent against them. And something to to note actually is just that the usage of the Matthews line throughout this series. I mean, they're getting Matthews has gotten ninety two percent of his zone starts in the offensive zone. So it's you know Keith is really trying to get him dips in the offensive zone, and it's just working for Matthews. Sitting at a forty percent 
um, out of time percentage. I mean, what is the solution when the big four that you're kind of paying to win you the win you basically the first round you're kind you kind of live and die by your stars are once again just MIA. Yeah, frankly, there I don't think there is one. Right, the, the Leafs as a team are built on this concept of four elite forwards, and the primes don't totally line up in, in a sense, right? Matthews wasn't at his best when Tavares is at his best. Now that Matthews is in, is in his prime, we've seen Tavares take a bit of a step back and things like that. But the fundamental idea is, you know, for more than half the game, for like two thirds of the game, we can put out two lines that are, that are our first lines on a huge portion of the NHL. And more than that, this year, what the Leafs established in the regular season is that one line in particular, Matthews, Marner, and Bunting, but it really it should be Matthews, Marner, whoever, is arguably the best line in the league. That's what the Leafs' regular season success was built on. They were dependent on that line, and that's not you know, a bad thing. They're paying a lot of money to these two guys. It's okay to depend on them. But that also means you don't have a huge margin for error when they aren't playing at their best. And we also shouldn't deny agency from Tampa Bay here. They're doing a good job to shut them down. Like, you know, as you said, Kalorn is doing a great job. Hedman's doing a great job. In the time that Sorelli and Point have been matched up against that line, they've done a great job. You know, it's to Tampa's credit. But fundamentally, if you're a team built around two top lines and those top lines are not performing like top lines, then your team identity crumbles like a house of cards. And that's the situation that the Leafs find themselves in. And, you know, there's, you can look at this in an optimistic way, which is like, okay, the Leafs have gotten nothing from these guys at five on five for four games and they're tied. Right. 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 That, that's, that's sort of that we went to this. If you told me, you know, at the start of the series, big four getting nothing from them five on five, absolutely nothing. And what's, what's the score after game four, I'd say probably three, one Tampa. Right. So it's fortunate in that regard. But the downside is, okay, it's tied to two. We need to win two more games against these guys. We probably can't rely on two more Andre Kasha, or sorry, two more David Kampf strikes. And, you know, we saw that tonight. We maybe can't rely on Jack Campbell to kind of win you the goaltending battle every night, at least without... Yeah, it, it was like the game three performance by Campbell was he outperformed Vasilevsky. And again, that's something we probably couldn't expect going in because everything, everyone would suggest Vasilevsky is a better goaltender than Campbell. I don't think that's controversial at all. No. And I mean, that's, that's a huge, we saw this also against Montreal. It was a big storyline again, that, you know, the Matthews line was kind of shut down. They're playing against Oded. I don't know. He's doing it again in the playoffs, I believe, but Philip Deneau absolutely shut down the Matthews line against Montreal. And, you know, the Leafs- that happened more in like games six and seven in particular, right? Cause like, Matthews yeah. was he hit like three posts in that series like he was still dangerous yeah to the eye yeah that's this true. has been I think more comprehensive a shutdown in like oh, yeah. a very uninspiring way if you're a Leafs fan yeah you're seeing Matthews kind of make maybe not make fumble on plays that you would not see him do during the regular season the pucks are kind of bouncing over his stick you know, he's so good at controlling the puck whether it be in the offensive zone or the defensive zone, and it, that's just not happening for Kind of really notice it on the power play. I think um, just oh, it's difficult to win against a team like Tampa when your best players are not your best players. Because as we've said, you really can't expect Ilya Labushkin to pass <laughs> to create like offensive chances in the 
has to David Camp every game. It, it's just not going to happen, and it's not a realistic expectation. I mean, it's really nice when you get depth scoring, but that needs to kind of be the supplement to stars coming through. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, as I said, the Leafs are a team built around stars. If the stars are the foundation, and if the foundation is you know, not strong, well, you know, everything's going to come tumbling down. And that's just the reality of it. So, I mean, like, you're Sheldon Keefe. You have a, not really a couple of options, but I would say one big option, like, kind of staring you in the face is to maybe switch Marner and Nylander. But I, I'm also just so reluctant to do that because the Matthews line with Marner it was just fantastic during the arguably the best line in hockey. And you really want to split that up. I mean, yes, they're being incredibly... Kind of shut down right now and they're not really generating much but it just i don't know if i want to do that either i'm not sure either i think you could argue for it either way it would have been interesting to see it a little in this game especially once it became a lost cause it represented oh. you know a blowout game in the playoffs kind of represents a bit of natural time for experimentation which you don't really get very often um, great point but regardless yeah, regardless, you know, they didn't really take advantage of that. And it's arguable how much they would have gained from it because there was so much so much penalty time through the second and third period that you wouldn't have had like really extended runs of Matthews and Nylander five, together 5-on-5 five five and Tavares Martyr. If I'm Keith, I lean towards not changing it up. I just, perhaps I'm, I'm relying too heavily on the example. But I think fundamentally you have to, you, you have to trust your guys. They brought you here, right? You dance with the people who brought you here. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's what they roll with. Yeah, and something to know: the Leafs are going back. Toronto five. Uh, Keith will be able to kind of get the Matthews line away from Headman, away from kind of get them a more favorable matchup at home. We'll see if maybe that something that kind of breaks that line out of the funk that they're currently in. Um, another story I kind of wanted to talk about is just the defense specifically. <laughs> Two, two separate pairings. One, I wanted to talk about Muzzin and Brody, who I think have actually been two of the Leafs' best players in this series. Muzzin maybe getting, you know, he gets that goal today, kind of toward garbage time with the score, <laughs> kind of essentially really out of out of reach for the Leafs. Um, he's kind of been getting a little bit more of the credit, but but Brody, I think, has also been and I think that the best defense. Considering the jobs that they have to do taking on tough matchups, because the people who we're probably going to talk about next are not. Yeah. Um, they've done a pretty admirable job. I think a lot of people were understandably concerned about Jake Muzzin this year, who, as we all know, didn't have the best year, struggled with injury, struggled with keeping the puck out of his own net when he was on the ice. You know, some of that was PDO and on ice save percentage. You look at his shot numbers and his expected goals numbers, they're still quite good. Um, but still didn't look like the Jake Muzzin we had expected and grown to grown accustomed to over the past few years, who was, you know, a borderline top pairing guy when you looked at how well he drove play and the types of minutes that he played. They've not been the problem, really. This the Brody Muzzin pairing, at least not to my eye. Um, I, I mean, I don't think they were good today. No one was good today, right? Like we can be clear about that. There wasn't a single yeah, leaf yeah. who I could say was like inarguably good today. Yeah, they were on, I believe, but, for one five-on-five goal against. But their, yeah, their, their numbers were mostly took, sound. Yeah, Brody took at least one penalty um, today, but who didn't? Yeah, I mean, half the team took a penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, 
Jake Muzzin has clearly stepped up his game playoffs, which is good to see. Um, they're getting, they're basically ma- mainly getting, as, as you said, the hard matchups, mainly all the defensive zone starts. Because the pairing that is decidedly not is the Riley Labushkin pairing, which has been really, I, I'm not gonna, they've just been really bad, I think, throughout the Labushkin particularly has, I think, been. The, the book on Labushkin was that he was strong defensively and not awesome with the puck on a stick. In that sense, he's been as advertised, you know, notwithstanding that really impressive Marner-like play to yeah. the Blackwell in game three. But yeah, it's kind of, you're sort of expecting, that's sort of what you expect out of him. The pairing with Riley made some theoretical sense because in, they can compensate for each other's weaknesses. But at the same time, it hasn't really worked out that way, at least in this series. Um, Riley's defensive weaknesses have sort of been compounded with Lubushkin's inability to exit the zone. And I think Tampa's really trying to target and make Lubushkin make plays with the puck on his stick. And often he's not able to. And that, that leads, that's, you know, in no small part, a contributor, a contributor to the bad numbers from the Matthews line, because Matthews and Riley spent a lot of time together on the ice, which makes sense. That's something Keith did a lot in the regular season. It makes sense. Have your best offensive defense and play with your best offensive line. Yeah, is I'm gonna say something maybe a little bit controversial. Is Ilya Labushkin a more physical Cody Cece? In that he I mean, cannot I, play with the puck. The puck is on his stick. It, it's not an insane. <laughs> it's not an insane take. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they they play a little bit differently. CC was so unaware of the play. I think that's what made CC most, the most frustrating player in the world to watch because, like, he has so many tools, and it's just he does not process the game fast enough to play at high NHL levels. Whereas Nabushkin feels possibly more limited in what he can do, but like has a better understanding of the game. Yeah, but in terms of net effect, like, it, you know, <laughs> Riley Nabushkin is is not exactly going. In, it's not exactly Capriolet McCabe. Yeah, and I mean, the, the issue is like the other right-handed defenseman they want to put with Riley is all, and he's not been great either. That, no, I, I, I think, I think he's it was awful. I mean, I think he's been a little... I think Hall actually had a quietly like, decent year. He, he got PDO'd as well, when, especially with Muslim. But like his pairing with Brody, I think, had really good numbers throughout the year. Um, and like I don't have a strong opinion on him versus Lilligren, but I also don't think that choice is like making the difference between the Leafs winning and losing, especially not in a game like this. No, no. Although I do think I'm wrong, but was it not like his, he failed to give the, get the puck out of the zone three times. First shift on the first game goal. with the goal I, going I in. I agree. So I, I, I agree, but that's also something that, you know, as we said, the first 10 minutes, every Leaf was fading to do that. And his happened yeah. to be the time where they scored, right? If they just scored on a different shift, we, we would we'd be yelling at Lubushkin or we'd be yelling at Riley, we'd be yelling at Brody. Like everyone messed up. Yeah, I think a lot of the fan base also is kind of just hating on Hall these days. Um, I, I wasn't too I, I, think... so, I wasn't too sold on Lubushkin over Hall. I know I said that I think on the eighty second like, first episode of Game Over that that I did that you know I wasn't sure if Lubushkin over Hall for Game One is maybe the best idea because I I wasn't necessarily that sold on Lubushkin to begin with. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Hall is kind of getting maybe a little bit unfairly. 
I think it's pretty common for and pretty comfortable for fans to place a disproportionate amount of blame on fourth line forwards and third pairing defensemen or like, you know, lower end defensemen hall. It's kind of the Leafs have a weird system where they have three almost even pairs in terms of ice time because they're, they're, they have such a flat defensive structure. But yeah, I think people overrate the importance of those players at times. Like, as we've said, and you know, if someone's going to take any analysis from this game away, it's the stars. The stars are by far huge, by orders of magnitude, the most important players on this team. And Lilligren versus Hall is probably not making the difference between us winning and losing the series, but Matthew's playing at a B plus level versus a C plus level very well could be. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think it really boils down to, to that. To me, that is, that is the storyline. You can also say something about maybe, I mean, we, we did talk about how in game, game special team, but I think it's also a storyline that in games two and four, they dis- the Leafs special team helped them lose. Um, Game two, the Leafs had a couple of opportunities first period three power plays that they didn't capitalize on, and it kind of led to Lightning getting their chances. And you know, tonight something similar can't capitalize on their chances, and then they give Tampa eight of their own. Mm-hmm. Something that I think is worth noting with Tampa's power play, and I wish I had better numbers to back this up because it's some, it's a very eye testy observation, but. Tampa's power play being built around kind of the, the, the dual threat of Kucherov's shot and Stamkos's shot, you know, with Kucherov generally operating at the half wall. Those are easy shots to get into. Like once they're set up, you really can't stop them from getting one of those two shots, right? You can, you can make it harder. You can you take away the cross ice pass from Kucherov to Stamkos or vice versa. But like if Hedman tees one of those two up, you can't do a lot to stop it just because they have one more guy than you. And those aren't amazing shots on the power play, but they're like really good fail faiths. Because like even if their power play isn't clicking, as, as long as they get set up, they're going to get something that's somewhat dangerous. The Leafs, in theory, have that, especially with Matthews taking shots. But it, it, a lot of the Leafs' offense on the power play comes from sort of these intricate passing plays. And in the playoffs, the, those passing lanes are like a little bit tighter, and the pressures a little bit percent clearly aren't. And I think. You know, those, it maybe reduces the margin for error in, in the, and reduces the gap in the two power plays because of how, um, because of, I guess, maybe the difference in playoff hockey. Now, this is a totally unsupported theory of mine. It's just a theory, but it's something I've been thinking about for a while. And I think, you know, power plays that are sort of easy to get into and still reasonably effective have some benefit because to make an NBA comparison, it's like having a player who can just easily walk into a mid range jump from whenever they want and hit it at a pretty good rate. You don't want to build your offense out of that, but sometimes. Oh, okay. Sorry. That was me. But to your point, I 100% agree. And like you said, I think it was kind of evident on one of the power plays um, where they were maybe kind of maybe overpassing. And it's like w- when you have that Stamkos and Kucherov option there, it's it's very difficult to stop. <laughs> yeah. I also I'm seeing a comment in the in the chat also about uh, the backup about Shogren. I mean, I thought Shogren was fine, but it also doesn't matter. I, he could have let in 45 goals. It would not like if we're playing Shogren in any meaningful minutes where there's like you know actual games at stake and the game is not already won or lost, then we are like kind of screwed, frankly. So 
it, it doesn't matter how Shalgren does, honestly. I thought he was fine, but you know, the the backup goalie, if we're playing him, we're we're in a really, really bad spot anyways. And I'm not sure it matters. Yeah, I and mean, if you're playing your backup goalie in the playoff, something catastrophic has happened. <laughs> we'll just we'll just Especially when Vasilevsky's on the other end, right? It just it, it it'll I think Shalgren's a perfectly fine NHL backup, like a backup third goaltender type. Um, but yeah, we clearly don't have a goaltending advantage. Yeah. So I guess to just kind of close this off for today, glass half full, let's be a little positive to kind of end, end the stream today. Um, <laughs> the Leafs are going into game five. It's tied 2-2. I think if you told any of us at the beginning of the series that that was going to happen, most of us would kind of not be surprised. Um, it, it, I don't think anybody expected this to be a blowout in either direction, deep or maybe 5-1. So I'm not necessarily surprised. I think the key for the Leafs really is they need to get their stars on the board and then it needs to be kind of early game five, I think. Get Matthews engaged. Keith needs to get the matchup favorable for that line, and I think they're just going to win and die by their top, by their big four. And I think you can kind of just boil it down to that. I, I would agree with that. Um, the, as you said, boils down to Matthews and Marner being able to consistently dominate, you know, zone time and shots, and and to a lesser extent, Tavares and need to do that too. But there is a higher standard for Matthews and Marner. So if they're able to do that, at least will be in good shape. If they're not, then the Leafs have to kind of pray for a little, uh, a little extra luck on the side. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to say? It, by the way, people watching, if this stream kind of shuts down randomly, um, I'm having a problem with Zoom. So if that happens, I'm really sorry. But anything else you want to say, Armin, before we kind of close out tonight? Uh, no, I think that just about covers it. I mean, I think the less said about that game, the better. <laughs> Very true. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find my stuff at, at pensionhandpuppets.com and I do um, a podcast with uh, Acting the Fooliman called Back to Excited, which is also on there and on you know, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever. Okay. It cut out. Okay, I think he's gonna... I'll just finish it off for him. Basically, you can find him at where he said, thank you everybody for, for, for tuning in. As, as Arvin said, the less we say about that game, kind of the better. Hopefully the Leafs can manage to win one for me the next time. The next time I do a recap, um, I'm getting kind of tired of talking about a loss. So, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And hopefully the Leafs can kick some ass in Game 5. Go up 3-2.